Good morning from a cosy alpine hut here at Midori House in London. I'm Tyler Brule here with a very special edition of the program this morning. Also with Emma Nelson. Emma, good morning. Very nice to a see very, you. A very good morning to you. The cosy alpine hut has been upgraded from what we called yesterday a shed. I know. Also, one of our guests today also referred to it being a bit of a, a maybe a, a finished sauna as well. Uh, we're at our Christmas market. It is day two. I'm also joined by our editor-in-chief, Andrew Tuck, is here as well. He's, we're going to have a few words from him uh, in a moment. Also, Nina DeSantis is here. Nina, you've um, been looking at the papers this morning. What's caught your eye? Well, over the last week, uh, Tyler, I think what I'm particularly interested in is these issues of sovereignty, these questions of sovereignty in places like Latin America, with um, Venezuela now threatening to potentially annex parts of Guyana. And also, you know, one month off from the elections in Taiwan, we've got news of a potential another Chinese spy balloon in the air. Indeed. Also, we're uh, going to be uh, maybe uh, getting a bit of a view because Andrew Chuck was here yesterday. Um, Andrew, um, reindeer, I think reindeer are inbound just for our listeners, just so we know. We'll hear that van pulling up uh, in a moment. We'll hear the clatter of hooves uh, on pavement. Uh, any standout moments for you yesterday? Uh, the rain stopping very early was good because then it was less reindeer and just more deer. So it, 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 got, it got very jolly in the afternoon. And uh, yeah, it's just it's so nice to see so many kind of readers here as well. Say hello to them. Very good. Also, I'm also very happy to say that another regular voice, Charles Hecker, is also here today. It is the 10th of December, 2023, live from London. This is Monocle on Sunday. Live from London, this is Monocle on Sunday with Tyler Brule. And good morning from rather autumnal, not so Christmassy London. Feels like we could be sort of mid-October or something like that, could it, Emma? Yesterday, we did feel as if we were going to be plunged into deep midwinter with, with that awful overcast grey sky that we thought we were never going to escape from. But this morning, there's a little bit of mildness. And what's really nice is that for the first time on Monocle on Sunday, we have birdsong in the park next door. One really feels as if we've gone al fresco. We can have a coffee, we can warm ourselves up. And yeah, this is going to be nice. Charles, very good to see you this morning. Of course, regular voice uh, on Monocle on Sunday, Monocle Radio. Uh, in general, you haven't had the full spin around, uh, of course, the market yet. Once we uh, were off air at 10 o'clock London time, you'll be able to do that. But um, maybe your take on London. I want to talk about the sort of the feeling of London, because I was out on, on Friday evening and around Barclay Square. It was just gridlock at 11 o'clock at night. Muscle cars from, with Bahraini plates, UAE plates. It was sort of, you, you couldn't move. I went into Daunt Books yesterday, absolutely heaving. Your take on uh, London Christmas 2023 so far? London Christmas 2023 is getting very, very high marks, both from the locals and for visitors. Um, I've been entertaining visitors from out of town over the past few weeks, and every single one of them is finding the mood, the decorations, the atmosphere, the hustle and the bustle absolutely jaw-dropping. Um, and London this year, I think more than previous years, really seems to sort of be putting on its very best show. The lighting is not bad. It's it's, it's, it's I, think, I was going to say, like, some, some streets and neighborhoods have got it right. Some, some it's just absolutely horrendous, though. But anyway, we can maybe do a, a bit of a ranking a bit later. Yeah, I, you'll recall that there was this one time that, that the lighting, perhaps on Regent Street, was, was even more commercial than ever before. And that was really sort of off-putting. And now I think they've, they've, they've shied away from the over-commercialization of Christmas. And the lights just seem to have a little bit more of an elegant touch. Uh, Nina, before we get into the world of geopolitics, macroeconomics, uh, any observations uh, from the consumer season here in London? Well, I think London's really rolled back into health. I'm uh, from this part of London, W1, Marlebon, uh, where Midori House is, uh, where you are at Monocle. And, um, you know, over the years, I've seen it change and transform. And as you were pointing out, it's become 
very international again after the pandemic. That's the real thing that I, I love seeing here. And the Christmas lights outside of London, guys, are pretty good. It was in Windsor yesterday uh, evening, and they're celebrating the fact that this is the first Christmas with a new monarch in the throne there nearby in the castle. And um, it was all crowns and really beautiful, just like here in Marlborough and High Street. We'll pick up on the tone of international. Uh, Emma Nelson, I believe you have the news for us this morning. Thank you very much indeed, Tyler. Israel has conducted heavy airstrikes on Gaza's main southern city of Khan Yunus. Residents were ordered out of the centre of the city yesterday. Meanwhile, the UN has warned half of Gaza's population is now starving as fighting there continues. Israel says it must continue airstrikes on Gaza to eliminate Hamas and secure the release of hostages. A French frigate has been attacked in the Red Sea with reports of two drones coming from Yemen to carry out the assault. Yemen's Houthi movement have said they will target all ships heading to Israel, regardless of their nationality, and have warned all international shipping companies against dealing with Israeli ports. The Houthis have attacked and seized several Israeli-linked ships in the Red Sea, through which much of the world's oil is shipped. Hong Kong holds its first so-called Patriots-only district elections today as the influence from mainline China grows. Some observers are warning that large numbers of people could boycott the polls, in contrast to the last council elections in 2019 during Hong Kong's mass pro-democracy protests, which drew a record 71% turnout. Qantas has introduced a new rule, banning travellers from filming and taking photographs on board without permission. Travellers will need to consent to film other passengers or or airline staff on board any Qantas aircraft. Travellers, however, will be allowed to take photos and videos of views when they are on board. And a pair of reindeer named Blitzen and Blue have been reunited with Father Christmas after escaping from a Christmas-themed attraction in England. The reindeer company, which owns the animals, says they broke out of Santa's grotto at the Alvedon Estate Farm in Suffolk. The reindeer promptly prompted the closing of the A11 when they wandered into traffic. A spokesperson said they went for quite a run. And those are the headlines. Back to you, Tyler. Thanks very much. Uh, Emma, I, I don't know where I want to start or pick up on those stories, but Andrew, maybe um, I'll start with you. Uh, this whole notion of Qantas uh, banning uh, filming and photography on board. Of course, we know that uh, that flight attendants are you know overstretched doing lots of lots of other things. Um, but do you, can you sort of see that there's going to be some level of enforcement? I, I'm all for it because I don't like when, of course, people sort of you know, do the full pan um, around the cabin. There was actually one of our guests who was here at the market yesterday um, that, uh, yeah, she said that that was happening once and uh, there was a family filming and she, she pulled her top up on board uh, the aircraft <laughs> just to give them a bit of a view, just to sort of get her point across. Um, well, I, I, how's, how's it going to work out? First, a footnote before I answer your question. Yesterday, I, I took the dog for a, a walk around the block here. And as I ran out, there was, there was a woman who was obviously very late for her meeting with somebody. And she was running at pace down the street. She hadn't noticed that her boob tube had gone under the boob. And both were, were fully out. So I was with dog, f- flapping her down. And she, without even pausing she said, oh my god thank you and pulled it up and, and carried on and then a, another woman behind her came she said i just didn't know what to say well done congratulations so i was a very proud moment saving a woman's dignity yesterday oh andrew what a In gentleman you are. <laughs> but i, I it was just a maneuver gentleman. i was like excuse me up <laughs> I was, I was did you say anything or was it just no hands? no no no, no. Said, excuse me up 
And then she oh, you thank you. To, it's, <laughs> that split second decision about what you say and what you do could make things go in yes. lots of different See, directions. Only, only if it had been a bit chilly, I should have noticed. But anyway, back to Qantas. I wonder if some <laughs> of this. Wait, hold on, no, <laughs> Andrew. Okay, wait, no, no. There's just I have to say that you you missed uh, the dance floor component the other night, but Emma did witness this as well. You want to talk about? I was was I'm not sure if it was a boob tube or a halter top, but our Nick Manise, our 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 designer, <laughs> who somehow just likes to show his tummy when he's on the dance floor and and, and fashioned for his one. One shirt was off, then there was a t-shirt. It was sort of then I think yanked behind his head. So I, it means it was a halter top more than a boob tube. It was, it was, it was, yes, it was one of those. Nina, you saw this as well, I think, creative. from the side, maybe. You have to you have to get pulled I think in I might on have it. left by then. No, I don't I don't think so. No, I, I don't I think so. It. You, you, you tried to blank it from your mind. You, you couldn't unsee it, Nina. No, you, it's true. There were there were a couple of quite loosely held together people on the dance floor by about midnight that that's, night. That's, and there that's, were, there's diplomacy for it. And there, and there were I think I looked after some woman and helped her back into making sure that she could look people in the eye the next morning after after things made a, made an escape <laughs> attempt so yes but it's fine but I, i'm under the theory though is that, that as long as you don't look down no one can see you that's so fine <laughs> <laughs> okay let's go back to Qantas, andrew Qantas, i wonder if it comes from this this flight shaming so we have these these sites which are all about flight shaming where people in the past just used to upload awful but not that bad pictures of people cutting their toenails and things on planes which was pretty disgusting but now i think they're entering in the world of litigation because they're uploading lots of films of people fighting on planes clashes between airline staff and passengers and i wonder for Qantas whether they're saying look our staff don't like this you're pulling them into difficult situations because at the end of those flights the 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 crew have to make a decision whether to call on the police or to kind of let something go, but once it's uploaded, they have no choice. It goes into the hands of the of the you know, the world of Instagram. But and they are also the longest flights in the world, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> From Australia, <laughs> let's face it, lots of time for sort of imbibing and you know sleeping it off and starting again, maybe. Well, I think what we tend to forget is that when flight attendants are on an aircraft, they're actually in their office and they're working, and and they have, I suppose, a reasonable expectation for a little bit of privacy around their activities and their ability to work sort of uninterrupted. And and if somebody were coming up and constantly snapping pictures of you in your office, I think you'd probably be get, get a bit annoyed after a while. But I'm, I'm sorry, I was just now also understood that for Qantas, they also have you know, a reputation, not Qantas, but these very long haul airlines. Let's not say Qantas because I get in trouble. But um, for the largest number of people dying on a flight, because what happens is so many old people go for one final trip because they, they're going to go and see their, their sister for the very last time. And the, they have a lot of medical emergencies on these very long planes. So again, I think that's maybe one of the reasons. And one, just on that, I understand that if somebody passes away and they're in a middle row, you move the people around, but you just tuck them up as though they're asleep, and then you leave them down to your lap. There are all these fascinating newspaper articles about how, what happens when people pass away on aircraft, and it happens a little bit more than you would think. And, and it involves sort of the utmost of discretion and sort of taking care of a horrible incident while pretending it's never happened at all, really. <laughs> and, and also resourcefulness uh, as well. I can I would just might as well jump right in there, right? I was on a flight back from Hong Kong uh, to, to Zurich, and uh, and uh, there was that moment, of course, they were calling for a doctor, uh, and but then I, you know, I was a, a glass or two in, so I sort of passed out, and the next thing I knew, there was heart massage going on, um, you know, across from me uh, on the aircraft, and and then there was sort of a reassignment of, of seats, and and the gentleman, the, the the flight attendant came up to me and said, actually, could you please move because the gentleman behind you doesn't want to to sit and, and she sort of thought i was fully up to speed because as you said the the deceased passenger was completely tucked up they the the seat was you know they put it fully flat and there was you know blankets and everything on top 
and and so they thought, okay, well, so so I want to sit beside the deceased for the rest of the flight, um, and then and then many hours into the flight, of course, um, uh, various conditions start to occur. They had to go into the well to the hold, but they had to go into um, one of the storage cabinets to get a ski bag out. Um, so one of those ski bags to then put the body in um, until we t- until we got to Zurich. But Andrew, to your point also, they don't want to divert the aircraft. I mean, maybe they could have made a medical emergency em- emergency landing. But of course, they ha- they take the call as well. They said, you know, there is there's m- also just many, many more risks if you're over Russia at that point. And you and you end up in landing in Perm or somewhere. Um, and then you have a technical issue with the aircraft, etc. You could also be you know, s- settled in there for days. We had a gentleman collapse on a flight to New York, and luckily he did get off the other end with a big smash onto his face where he clipped a seat on his fall down. But they asked if there was any doctor or nurses on the plane, and several people put their hands up. But because they didn't have proof in, in their bags, they didn't have the air ID cards that could be checked with ground control, they wouldn't let, let any of them go and see the, the person who had fallen over because they said, we could get sued if you came forward and you weren't actually a doctor. Well, I've had one of those ones before. One more story. <laughs> <laughs> We've all flown a little bit in our time. Where, of course, we were somewhere out of the, over the Atlantic, Toronto, um, I think, to Frankfurt or to or to, to Zurich, and and we're well out over the Atlantic. I mean, I think we're you know you can sort of see New uh, not New Zealand, uh, you can see Iceland, you can see Iceland on the <laughs> very strange routing. I do. I listen. I do. I do have a globe um, in my house. Uh, you can see see Iceland, and then they said. Again, medical emergency, etc., and they decided to go all the way back to St. John's, so that we had to trek all the way back across the Atlantic. But here's the worst bit: we land, and the passenger just like walks off as plain as can be. At that point, though, for all that disruption, I, I want a stretcher. At that point, I, you can't you can't just sort of walk off. <laughs> anyway, uh, <laughs> this is an airline news brought it, to you by it, Monocle Twenty Four. Exactly, <laughs> but Charles, I want uh, your 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 point though about the workplace. Uh, is also an interesting one because I think there's also that that whole aspect of discretion. If someone is like, panning their, you know, their camera around as well, and, and and images get uploaded, there's also that you know maybe Nina's on her way, you know, to go do a job interview in Hamburg. There's all of the other elements that go with. Oh, it's like I actually saw you on that flight, but you actually you called in sick that day, and then you're probably off for a job interview, that. right? But. That's right. I mean, this, interse- this intersection of what is public and what is private. And, and when you're on a mode of transportation and you're surrounded by dozens and dozens of other people, you have the sense that this is a public venue. Um, but you are entitled to a certain level of privacy. And your example of, you know, is Nina traveling to a job interview and does our current employer need to know that? Or are you going to visit a, a mistress or somebody that you're having an affair with? And does your spouse need to know um, that you're on a long haul flight somewhere obscure? Um, no. Um, but we feel very public in these places and of course now everybody has a camera with them correct andrew you um might have uh, let's we're going to move to to rail transport now <laughs> <laughs> but I, I there was I, I jotted something down in my column today coming back on the eurostar uh, the other morning uh, we had a, we had a lovely lovely um event in paris and there were there were a group of people in our carriage from an auto company, uh, well, based based in the UK, not not a UK company, but it was the most indiscreet conversation. There was a, there was a, they were talking. You know, it went from breakfast buffet and and the night before, and then to sort of a complete takedown of their management, the the reveal of a new vehicle, and it, it was. I thought, I, you know, everyone else is sort of chattering away as well, but but I really tuned into this conversation, and I thought, if you're a shareholder. If you are, you know, a manager, if you could have come from head office, and I believe this company is based in Japan, 
you would have been apps. I mean, you would have sacked a bunch of them because it was it was really it was remarkable. I've heard so many things like this on the Eurostar back and forth. Um, legal M and A transactions you often hear lawyers often on the telephone, and obviously you know they're using a lot of people are using hands free sets now, so they're speaking louder and louder. And louder. Yeah, you've, yes, you have. There, that's also interesting as well. I think when you've got two earbuds in, you have sort of no sense of. There's almost like no reminder that there's a, ha- a, a ha- sorry a handset beside your face, and and you feel like yeah you're you're in your own cocooned world that people are somehow not tuning in. I mean, I was there was a moment I think I said to Andrew once on the train from I think I was going from Lausanne, you know, out of back up to Zurich, and, and I thought okay, it's time to sell Nestle shares because there was this conversation going on. It was absolutely. This, this has consequences. We uh, there's a regular on Monocle Radio who's a journalist, and I'll, I'll keep their identity secret for discretion. But they were sitting on a train in the UK with uh, in earshot of a very, very uh, large group of um, executives from a major communications company here in the UK, and they were doing exactly what your um, co-travellers on the Eurostar were doing. Um, they were talking about how, in actual fact, there was a major problem at the company and something dreadful was happening. And so this this gentleman, this journalist gentleman, friend of ours, um, rang the FT because he's a reporter. He was working for the FT at the time. And so sat at his desk the next morning, rang the press office of this communications company and said, could you just confirm that this is happening? And before you knew it, it was on the front, front page of the Financial Times. So there is that sort of warning that... that be careful because ears do have consequences. You know, there are actions that can be taken. Charles, uh, maybe we can uh, start looking at uh, what's happening in the world beyond uh, rolling transport uh, and, and aircraft uh, this morning. Uh, what's, uh, what have you picked up on, uh, at, least, at least since we, we booked you to do today's show? I can't take my eyes off American politics at the moment. And, and so I was looking at the Washington Post where there's a story about Casey DeSantis. Casey DeSantis is the wife of Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, and a presidential hopeful who will be balloting in the upcoming Iowa caucuses, um, just uh, coming in January. Casey DeSantis takes to the airwaves and tells everyone within earshot um, to come vote in Iowa and to come participate in the caucuses. Um, What she didn't know is that what she was saying was illegal. Um, She's inviting people from all over the United States to come and join in the fun. Um, Only Iowa residents are allowed to vote in the Iowa caucuses. Um, And that makes perfect sense. It's sort of like being a registered voter. Um, The caucuses aren't quite like casting ballots, but they're close to it. And they're very important. This is the very first American primary that will set the temperature, the tone, and the pace of everything to come. And so we've had a very, very quick walking back from the Republican Party of Iowa saying, you know, thank you for the sentiment and for the enthusiasm, but really let's keep this to registered voters in Iowa. Andrew, we don't want to say that we had a hand in this, but it does sort of link to our December, January issue because it is remarkable when we've done surveys all over the world. There we are in Iowa. I mean, we, we, we want to guide people to Iowa as well. It, who, who would have thought if you could have chosen all of the states in America Where's the first place that actually says, actually, we, we want to work with Monocle and, and, and do a survey and, and open the doors to Des Moines for everybody? We've done this survey, and it's fascinating that you know, Des Moines, one of these places that many Europeans really just don't know. It's a, a something that may, maybe they've flown over between, when they're going between the, the, the coasts. But, or diverted to, maybe. Or maybe diverted to. But how great that it's kind of a center of great architecture, of business, of finance. And education and all of these things. And, and I think that's the great thing when it appears in Monocle suddenly. It's a bit like when we did some work with Asheville in the, over the last year or two. It kind of 
makes people reinterpret what they, they see on the map. Charles, have you been to Des Moines? I haven't had the pleasure just okay, yet. So we've been, we've been, we've been, we've been for you. Um, but it, it was it, this is this is the amazing thing. It was like we were we were really pleasantly surprised. Uh, one of our partners, you, you again, and listen, we have our prejudices, uh, and I, you know I can say this because I grew up, you know, on the other side of the border in, Man- in Manitoba, and uh, but you know you, we we went to this one H- HQ for um, the Krauss Company. And it's a Renzo Piano building, um, wow. and just I mean, just the investment in architecture, and there are just many things that sort of happen within the urbanism sphere, you know, and 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 beyond, which um, are, are complete uh, complete perception changers. I'm I guess sure when, so. I was just going to say when that debate is happening about quality of life in in major U.S. cities on, on the coast. You, we landed somewhere, and Chris Lord, who's our America's editor, he said it's it's really striking how actually the discourse is a lot better. It's incredibly polite there's a kind of civility about much of the discourse that you have i'm sure there's an underbelly that's not but a lot of the people you meet are just very very engaging and and also he was just struck by the the, the quality of life that you had in that city the, the kind of access to nature the way things were built the way that the city was looked after Ions are actually very quite, are very proud of the fact that they are the pace setter when it comes to the American electoral process. And every once in a while, when there's a debate about removing the Iowa prime, Iowa caucuses as as the first electoral event, um, they get quite upset because it's a time for them to. First of all, it's a great boost to the economy um, because journalists come from all over the world, and um, you know the political teams and the crews um, are a fantastic boost to, to the statewide economy. Um, what I was going to say on the subject of Starkitects, though, is that you may be familiar also with a not so distant town from Iowa called Columbus. Indiana, um, which was the home of Cummins Engines, and and they purpose-built the town of Columbus, Indiana, using these blockbuster architectural projects. And when you go there, and I have been a couple of times, it is absolutely breathtakingly beautiful. And the hospital, the school, the firehouse, the mayor's office, um, all of these sort of routine municipal and civic buildings are built by some of the world's most famous architects. Uh, let's go back to the election. Uh, also, there's a piece in the Wall Street Journal yesterday, a uh, very, very simple graph on, on uh, the front page, uh, which, of course, uh, showed uh, Trump um, in the ascent, showed, the, of course, the latest um, approval ratings uh, for Biden um, you know, in steep descent. Your read on that. Yeah, it's a very strange thing, because if you were to look at this objectively, which I realize is absolutely impossible to do in politics, um, President Biden has, even by neutral standards, has been quite an effective president in terms of the amount of legislation that he's passed in the scope and the impact of that legislation. There is a problem that Americans are just not feeling it. The American economy is relatively healthy. It has avoided a recession that, that we've seen sort of trot around the globe in other countries. Um, But inflation has taken a chunk out of Americans' purchasing power, and that's where they're feeling it the most. And so when you tell them, oh, look around, everything is fine, they say, well, when I'm looking inside and, you know, in my own household, everything's not fine. And until the Democrats manage to sort of marry up this disconnect between the way the national economy is performing and the way households feel their individual economies are performing, they're going to be in that hole. And I'd also just like to point out that... um, as we head towards the final throes of the next election and there's so many question marks of whether or not Joe Biden is the right candidate because of his age, <laughs> um, advanced age. The other thing is, is he's focusing a lot on foreign policy. And a lot of that foreign policy, I'd point out, is it's quite negative, isn't it, for the American electorate? It's this sort of stream of negativity, whether you're talking about, um, you know, uh, Israel and Gaza, whether you're talking about Ukraine and whether or not the United States should continue to commit funding to that battle. 
really what they're hearing is also quite negative too. The president has very much been distracted by international affairs over the past few years. Um, you know, first of all, with the war in Ukraine and now with, with the conflict in Gaza. And, and so, um, and Americans don't really like to think about foreign policy and they don't like to vo- vote on foreign policy. Um, they like to vote on, on, on sort of healthcare education and, and sort of strictly domestic issues. And, and, and the voting personality, if there is such a thing these days, is turned very, very much inward. Uh, Nina, you uh, started uh, in the menu. Uh, you took us to Asia. Um, do we want to go to to Taiwan, or do you want to start uh, somewhere else, uh, story wise, right now? Well, I mean, we could start with Venezuela because that's interesting in the sense that uh, obviously the Biden administration is getting involved there, uh, backing Guyana, saying, "Well, look, if Venezuela is trying to annex your territory, you have full U.S. support uh, for Guyana." Um, the backdrop to this story is that there's been a referendum recently in Venezuela about an oil-rich region that's been sort of in dispute for quite some time called the Sequibo between um, Guyana and Venezuela. Guyana claims that region and that's been accepted by an international uh, court and international norms but Venezuela needs oil money and there's a lot of oil there and so what's happened is they've had this referendum unilaterally and they've said that that could uh, form a legal framework to try and seize this territory and start granting oil rights already. Now that's important because as we know the Maduro government needs money but it raises this question of sovereignty at the same time as we've got um, question marks over Taiwan. You were just talking, Emma, earlier on uh, in the news about how Hong Kong is in the news this week with these so-called patriot elections taking place there. We've got the trial of Jimmy Lai happening next week. That's the um, newspaper baron that's... um, been put under arrest uh, by the Chinese um, on national trumped-up national security charges. This issue of sort of whether or not autocrats win out in the end and how people like the Biden administration, uh, the United States uh, intervene on these issues I think is, is going to become more of a theme for 2024, as if it wasn't already in 2023, let's be honest. Tyler. The question of intervention is quite a, a big one insofar as um, we had a very good guest on Monocle Radio last week in Venezuela who said look, they don't have the resources they don't have the military power, they don't have the money this is not going to happen and you do want to ask that question, you know, why is everyone, this this could all or should just sort of gently ebb away, even though the Brazilians are stationing military near to the border and, you know, the, the, the Guyanans are, are clearly not happy about the fact that there's this land grab being made. I have worked for 26 years in a geopolitical risk consultancy and the one thing over the past few years I've learned never to say is that something looks unlikely. Excellent. Thank <laughs> like you for the war that. In Ukraine, I suppose. Um, forgive me, Emma, because it, it, it's just we thought that the war in Ukraine was going to be unlikely. Um, nobody saw what happened in Israel coming. Um, nobody saw a global, pand- a global pandemic coming to the extent that we had it, you know, the depth and the intensity and the duration. Um, and, and what's happening, I mean, Nina painted the portrait perfectly. I mean, what's happening in Venezuela um, and Guyana is just so symptomatic of a rule where the geopolitical of a world where the geopolitical rules are being rewritten basically almost every day. Um, I, I was about to say that I really like this conflict, although you're not supposed to say that about conflicts. But this is something where Venezuela is is reviving a gripe that goes back to 1899 um, and making it modern in 2023. Um, and and the fact that they can try to execute this land grab now, um, you wonder will this happen? And if it does, what's next? It's also interesting that you know we, we look at how the West, how the U.S. can 
influence narratives in these countries. And here you have an example with Venezuela where it's been mostly economic pressure, trying to ease out the Maduro government, completely failed. You, you see what's happening in Ukraine. Many of the headlines over the weekend saying, look, it's, it's on the point of success for Russia, an absolute failure of the, of the attempts of the Ukrainians. So we'll, we'll, we'll see, but it, it shows that all of these attempts, and now we're seeing what's happening in Gaza, where it, does diplomacy work, does economic pressure work, does military pressure work? It, it doesn't look like a, a simple solution, does it, for any of these situations? No, we seem to be trying to throw everything that we have um, at these conflicts. And, and when we realize that military force doesn't always work, we try sanctions. Then we realize that sanctions don't really work all that well. Then we try diplomacy. And then you have, you know, a superannuated American president who's really a bit tired of jet setting around the world and has other things on his mind. Um, and, and we're just sort of rotating through these shifting solutions um, to conflicts that just keep coming. Having said that, though, it's important to remember that it was only a few years ago that Donald Trump floated the idea of buying Greenland, which is home to huge mineral rights, right? <laughs> which, is, which is close to New Zealand, you'll recall, <laughs> according to the <laughs> Probably he was on Donald the same plane. Trump's world, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I suppose the point I'm making here in this sort of so-called age of autocracy is that, you know, it, it, it doesn't have the traditional boundaries that we remember geographically. It's not an east-to-west dynamic. Um, you know... Uh, Again, Donald Trump, as you just said, is leading in the polls, um, floated the idea of buying a sovereign part of Denmark's, uh, you know, historical territory, Greenland, a sovereign country. Um, and, um, you know, it, it, it's not confined to Venezuela, put it that way. No, and just uh, before we go to the news, Charles, as well, as you said, yeah, many people might be saying that uh, the, the military uh, apparatus may not be there, that, uh, that maybe at uh, the Department of Defense or the ministry in Caracas. Uh, that uh, they're not so toothsome. But <laughs> again, that might be the case, but there's no shortage uh, of arms peddlers out there who can get things across the border into port you know, rather quickly. And, and we've seen how, you know, we know that also in many corners of the world is also the, the defense establishment on the back foot to just to, to produce enough at the moment. But of course, there's, there's lots of willing sellers and there's buyers too. Well, you're absolutely right. So when we talk about state capacity being stretched and government's official capability to participate or, or monitor or engage in conflicts like this around the world, if that is falling short, you're absolutely right to suggest that the private sector essentially will find a solution for this. And and it's already happening um, in Ukraine and in other conflicts around the world where you have weapons merchants, both buyers and sellers, who are more than happy to flood the market wherever there's demand. Absolutely. Uh, it's uh, just gone 9.30 uh, here in London, a special edition of Monocle uh, on Sunday uh, with me, Tyler Brule. I'm happy to say that Emma Nelson is here with the news headlines. Thank you very much indeed, Tyler. Is Israel has conducted heavy airstrikes on Gaza's main southern city of Han Yunus. The UN has warned that half of Gaza's population is now starving. Israel says it's continuing airstrikes on Gaza to eliminate Hamas and secure the release of hostages. A French frigate has been attacked in the Red Sea with reports of two drones coming from Yemen to carry out the assault. Yemen's Houthi movement says they will target all ships heading to Israel regardless of their nationality. Hong Kong is holding its first so-called Patriots-only district elections as the influence from mainline China grows. Some observers are warning that large numbers of people could boycott the polls. In Italy, a new night rail service starts this week from Rome to the capital of the Dolomites, Cortina d'Ampezzo. The service is intended to emphasise the importance of having trains like hotels to ho show that a holiday begins the moment the train departs the station. The Italian state-owned company FS Group has created a new group company aimed at tourism called FS Treni Turistici Italiani.
And the EU's statistics agency has published its annual happiness survey, revealing the top 10 nations where people are content with their quality of life. Factors such as education, family and financial stability impacted the respondents overall. In second positions were jointly ranked Poland, Finland and Romania, all scoring 7.5 out of 10. Bottom was Bulgaria, second bottom was Germany. Guess who was top? Oh, goodness. Uh, okay, so let's spin around the table. I'm going to say... Um, I'm surprised I haven't seen Charles story is looking yet. at the answers. Yeah, Charles, come on. <laughs> cheating, uh, hmm. Go, Charles. Yeah. <laughs> what would be your informed... What, the, the, the country with the highest life happiness. I mean... But this is... Is it an e, is EU? EU. It's EU. Okay, fine. It's almost always somewhere in Scandinavia. Finland. Number two. Joint number two with Poland, Romania, and uh, I'm going to say I'm going to say Denmark. Nina, well, I think Finland. Yeah, uh, Finland, but it's, uh, Finland, Finland is tied for number, number two. Tied number two. Yeah. Denmark's top ten. Has anyone said Norway yet? They're not at EU. They're not EU. Ouch! There goes, there goes the geopolitics. <laughs> uh, the Sw- Swedes that jolly. Uh, hang on, mid mid table. Mid table. Okay. Okay, Nina. Are you going? Are you going Portugal? mad? Are you going mad? Portugal. Sorry, no. no. Bottom, no. The bottom eight. Bottom eight. Goodness. Yeah. Austria. Yes. <gasps> Said the man who could see the grass. <laughs> <laughs> I saw a craning of the neck over no, there. I can't. I can't see. Austria, Austrians number one. Austria. People are happy in Austria. Levels of education, quality of life. You've dressed for the part this morning. Super I have to. I have to, say, I have to say. <laughs> happy. I'm happy. Listeners, Emma's in in a sort of a, a, a nubby sort of boucle uh, number. Very much, I would say, uh, inspired by the world of Tracht. It's in, the closest you can get to Tracht in W one <laughs> exactly. and get away with it and pro- be thermal. <laughs> <laughs> the, the interesting bit about this, I mean, it's probably no great surprise that Austrians are happy with with their lot. But the bottom three, Bulgaria, okay. Germany and Greece. People are not Greece. happy there. But Germany, there's, there's obviously a sense of discontent yeah, well, there, we over the border. We, and we were discussing this over dinner last night. But I'm interested, Andrew, you're not asking, where is, where is, where is Spain in all of this? Let, I'll have a look. Just give me yeah, a moment. Okay, you well, talk for a moment. I'll just okay. look at the and then we're, and, we're, and we're interested about Italy as well, I think, within all of yeah. Okay, so the hang on. It's a big graph. Italy is 13. Yes. 13. Followed by Cyprus, Luxembourg, Spain. Then Ooh, Lithuania God. and France is pretty low there. And then okay, so then who, so, who, Portugal. Okay, so do, do, just do the top five for us. Okay, though. top five. Austria in number one. Uh, Poland, Romania and Finland. Belgium, Netherlands, Denmark, Slovenia. So, so Belgium surprises me. I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. Because there's nothing wrong with Belgium. But, but, but that's not necessarily yeah, standing with fake phrase, isn't it? Exactly. But I don't know. I, yeah. I mean, there's there's one part of Belgium. I think you know, it's it's fine when you're when you're cocooned in, in, in Antwerp and everything is right, and then you get back on those motorways and there's nappies flying around and and all. It's just it's, it, 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 ain't, it ain't great anyway. I'm looking forward to Dutch. I'm gonna keep quiet. <laughs> I'm looking forward to the new Belgian tourist campaign. There's nothing wrong with Belgium. <laughs> okay, I want. I, I've. Uh, I'm just gonna th- uh, just. Uh, uh, in my reading yesterday uh, with the Wall Street Journal, there's a there's a story in the job section. Headline is, a moving company touts its young, chiseled workers. Um, feds say that's age discrimination. Biden-appointed EEOC commissioners are taking a closer look at alleged age bias in the labor market. And it says, a moving company shows off the clean-cut, chiseled student athletes who pump iron before loading your furniture. 
I don't see what the problem is. Um, the federal <laughs> government. This is, the this fe- is just the, daily life at Monaco, right? The, the federal government says that that's an issue. The, so the Equal uh, Employment Opportunity Commission sued Fresno, California-based Meathead Movers. That, that's the problem. <laughs> I mean, from, a, from, a bra- from a branding point of view, uh, you, you could come up with something a, a little bit catchier than me. That, that, to me, that's sort of the offensive bit. <laughs> Well, we, we all remember as well, Tyler, the days when you'd go to New York and in the mid, mid, midst of winter at uh, Abercrombie, you'd, you'd see some poor lad stripped his, his waist standing outside trying to tout the T-shirts and things. So I think it's got a bit of a tradition in America. I, I don't know. I look, brand clarity. We can't fault them. Yeah. Absolutely can't fault them on that. And the fact is that we're not now talking about it in a grotto in London. So well done, Meathead Movers. <laughs> exactly. And if you want sort of an every workout, we actually opened this shed this morning. So we have we've done our own workout yeah. underneath <laughs> there. We had we had chains, we were we were we were getting this done. So so the workout at Monaco happens, but possibly in a slightly more elegant way. Do, do you have a lumberjack shirt? <laughs> I do. So, I, well, I do. well there, there were a few lumberjack shirts around. Andrew, do you, do you think though, because the you know the story here is it's about youth, it is about sort of, you know, chiseled torsos. You if it was anything else, uh, would anyone have cared really? No, and, and in fact, there's there's a there was a, a, a big story this weekend, a very big story about um, about weight discrimination in America and how this is the new kind of frontier in the cultural wars, and how actually you're not going to be able to do any discrimination against people because of their their their, their size, which which obviously sounds great to begin with, but there are just many jobs where your scale your you know your fitness your 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 proportion may have an impact so it's going to be interesting so i i, I would imagine that the, these these young gentlemen will be fine <laughs> And even not to, even if it's not, they don't remain at the company, I think yeah. they'll probably just it'll all work out. I just um, I, I want to pick because I, I know Andrew, you have to, to go because you've also got, you have a, a, a pet nearby as well. How is Macy doing, by the way? I mean, uh, she's curled up on, uh, on Nina's foot underneath her. I just Andrew, you're you're recently back from from the Gulf. We were just saying as we were going on air about just that, this this transformation in in London, where you know traditionally we had you know people from the Gulf, Saudi, they were here you know into sort of like middle mid mid-September and it's it's just it was remarkable to to see the spend the lineups uh just this this energy which which did remind me it could you could have been in you know along the Corniche in Beirut in the 1980s it, it has just this remarkable feel about things that also London has become this magnet you know 12 months uh, a year now um I and mean, maybe part of it is also you know, de- you know decent-ish weather a, a warming london uh, certainly this morning um as well but i just i was just intrigued because you know you were you were in riyadh you were in the uae and i was wondering what the dialogue and the conversation is around that bridge between uh between london and and the gulf right now well, what struck me was how many people I met who were actually, th- their families have had a connection to Paris or London for like three generations now. So we met a minister in the Saudi government and he was, oh, I was born in St. Mary's Hospital because my parents were in London when I was born. We met a, a, a very successful Q80 entrepreneur who said, oh, my, my family have a house in Manchester Square, which is just down the road from here. So suddenly you meet all these people. This isn't just tourism. These are people whose parents came here, their grandparents came here. They've got, they've got, it's part of their tradition almost now coming here. And I would say that, you know, for London shopkeepers, it must be a good thing because you, you look at how impeccable these people are. It's like every, every woman, great, great eyewear, good bag, every guy super cool turned out. But it is slightly amusing. We have a, a news agent around the corner, and I was in there the other day, and I, I kind of noticed two young guys sitting outside having a chat. And I said, well, do you know who they are? And, and uh, 
the guy who owns it. He said, yeah, they, they, uh, they're here from the Middle East. They're here from Kuwait. But, uh, I then noticed that they had bodyguards with them while they're having their morning coffee. So it's just it, around here, there is a lot of uh, trailing of larger people. You know, the, those big bodyguards coming. Maybe they need some meathead movers to kind of assist them around. The <laughs> I think is that the company. <laughs> Moonlighting. It's astonishing how it's changed in the last two or three years in terms of if you are around in Malibun, you know, Nina, you're my, you're my hood or patch. Um, the, 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 well. the shops are and the cafes are transforming so you know long it's now there's an awful lot of very very posh cakes and yeah. there's and actually the pace of mayfair and marlebone is slowing because you have this perpetual leisure economy mm-hmm. which is strolling down the street and endlessly i mean it is it, and, and londoners are like go not the way i've got somewhere to go i mean there's no there's no conflict at all but you can just definitely change sense of a sense of, of a gear change here yeah absolutely um andrew we're um I don't. Know, I think we're going to be manning subscriptions, or I don't know. Maybe maybe we're going to be doing something. The uh, the market uh, opens in uh, twenty minutes, listeners. If you're in the area, uh, and look who's coming, just right right on cue. Oh, you, you, you can hear you can hear the jingle of reindeers. You can you can hear um, Macy not so thrilled about the concept uh, un- big, under the under the that's table. That's a very big dog. She thought. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, why don't I have antlers? Uh, Andrew Tucker, our editor in chief. Uh, thanks very much uh, for that. Just gone uh, nine forty, almost nine forty one uh, here in London. You're listening to a very special edition. Um, of Monocle on Sunday uh, with Tyler Brulé, also uh, Emma Nelson uh, as well. I'm, I'm very happy to say that, uh, I mean, you, you as uh, we were saying, of course, you did the market um, as well yesterday, uh, Emma. Um, anything sort of stand out? I mean, aside from sort of thinking about sort of, there's, there's no like Tiroler trappings here, <laughs> but we have Le Fetiche from Scotland. Uh, there's many other uh, interesting brands uh, in in the mix as well. It's that combination that we're that the monocle market is so good at doing. So once your eyes have been exploded by all the lights inside in the in central London, which is enough to give anybody a headache, even though they are stunning. Uh, you come here and it's quieter and it's more uh, relaxed and also you have that old and new group of uh, the sort of the regulars, the family, one of them is sitting down right now, we're just about to talk to her. But then you also have the sense that uh, there are new brands who are really, really excited to be here and they know that they have that crucial ability to talk to real people and because La Fetiche is amazing, it's, it's you know, it's eye-popping wool um, is enough to brighten any Glaswegian evening. It, it, it brings, you know, flair and, and, and life. Um, but the fact remains is that, you know, they can get to a, an audience that you can't get to from a shop in Glasgow. You can really, really talk to lots of people. And what I found quite astonishing was the number of visitors to the market yesterday who weren't from London. They were, okay, maybe this is a post-pandemic thing that everybody now lives in Tunbridge Wells and, you know, they take an hour to get in the train. But um, lots of people had made the journey into town to make sure that they could come to the fair. No, and I know we were being a bit... We weren't being rude about Belgium. Um, or Tunbridge Wells. No, or, or, as well. No, but the first um, people I, I bumped into on, on Chiltern Street yesterday were from Brussels. Uh, and, and they were over, <coughs> pardon me, they were over specifically for um, the market. Um, so they had made the pilgrimage and jumped on Eurostar. And uh, and here they are. And, and, and when we 
in terms of here we are. Um, I'm very happy to say that Nancy Durham uh, is here from Farmers. Uh, I've made we, the we, pilgrimage from Wales. You did make, I was going to say, we, we, we talked about sort of, you know, uh, Glaswegian nights. Uh, you are here, uh, of course. This is edition, have you counted, this is edition what for you, um, being part of the market here? Oh, is it? Like years and years. I mean, we're, we're a decade in, at, at least. I, I want to say yeah, that. Yeah, I, That's true. Well, I, I think it was at beyond, the first I mean, maybe, maybe winter. This, is, this could be even like, are we at the 14-year mark or something? 2012 was the first one I remember. 2012. I've got, yeah, the I've got had, you remember. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. I was there, yeah. I even did summer when you did a June. Remember? That's right. We, that was my and, and also, there's been a call for also a return of the summer market as well, listeners. So we've been doing it. We've been doing the body market uh, in, uh, in in Zurich. So we're looking at uh, also bringing back the, the market, the, the spring fair, whatever it's going to, to be uh, a little bit later on. But anyway, Nancy, how are you? I'm very well. And it's so nice to be here. And uh, it's mild. It's, it's mild. It's balmy. I know. They say that it's going to be... We don't do we don't do weather forecasts on this program, but it looks like um, they're threatening rain around midday or something yeah. like that. Anyway, yeah. we we will move on. Um, for those who do not uh, are not familiar with farmers, uh, what you do day in and day out, um, set up your stall for us in an audio format, please. We make farmers so you can cover your body with farmers, <laughs> and we make body care products. Is that and like the removals company? It is. You were talking about, about meathead it. movers a little bit earlier, where you can get chiseled men to uh, move things around for you. But um, obviously, this We've is got a couple of chiseled guys on the farm. You do. I would hope that's happening in your stretch of Wales. Um, you know what's happening right now? What's I'm, happening I'm right now in Wales? Tell the us. The blue tits are in our swimming pool, and the blue tits are an international swimming group. They like the cold. They're called that. Oh, I, I thought you were talking about. No. We were sort of in. in 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 the world of of of, 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 of or, birds or, or, or and, and feathered friends, no no, like, no, 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 people but like real blue tits. And they go swimming every uh, every Sunday morning in our outdoor pond. Well, all ponds are outdoors, aren't they? Charles, take it away. Okay. He's like, he's like, he's like, well, I was just thinking of that poor lady who was running down the street and whose, whose boob tube fell down in the middle of the winter. <laughs> exactly. Oh, yeah. well, all I can say is it must be cold. In that. It <laughs> is cold. Well, and it's a, because it's, you say it's a pool, but it's not. It's like it's a little. It's a mini well, lake. Well, it's, you it's, know. It's, it's, a, it's a spring fed. You I've very, seen you cannonballing into we, it. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's it's a, a spring fed natural I mean, pond. It's like fantastic. Well, we built it, but the water comes in and yeah. goes out again. And it's gorgeous and people. It's very, very popular. And there's a certain segment of the population that does it all winter long and even breaking the ice but i stop at 14 degrees that's right. my cutoff but it sounds like an international gathering of blue tits so i mean how many are how no it's the bilf wells chapter so we might have oh. 12 or 14 okay but they are they're as far they're around the Pairs, world no sorry i'm not going to go anywhere to go. 12 very, or 14 people we might have 14 people 12 or 14 people <laughs> women s- and men seven. there are some men too I'd, I'd say it's mostly women right and they're really into that cold water hit and they'd like to get it on our farm. Now, is this is this a revenue-generating opportunity? You let them um, swim for free, and then they can they moisturize everything. They, and they buy cake, and they, and they, buy they cake. moisturize, and all that stuff. So, yeah, it's just like a little kind of ex- reciprocal exchange. Okay. Do you so, make beefcake body lotion? Oh, no, we don't. But what is, what is beefcake? Is that something rude? For the meathead movers. Yeah, for the meathead movers. Oh, yeah, I mean, oh, yeah right? sorry, sorry. No, we don't. We can look at but that. But you could, right? That, yeah. That's the whole brand extension for What's you. What's that going to smell like, Nancy? Beefcake? I, no, I think, well, think it would be perfect. Oxo. Really, here we have our new tiny bottle of Farmer's 1100 Eau de Toilette. 180 sprays in the little bottle. Mm-hmm. We have that here. Lavender-based? Lavender is the middle note. Bergamot's the top note. It's mm. a bit of cedarwood and... Rosemary and some vetiver and all kinds of things hiding in there. Not hiding, they're in there. Eleven essential oils. It's gorgeous. And you now we've got a mini, so you can always have a farmer's in your pocket. So Nancy, uh, again, so for people who've been to our markets and people are familiar with their products, the the defining 
I would say, component. You said, obviously, with this new fragrance, the middle note is lavender. You have a lavender farm. But as you've expanded farmers, I'm wondering, you know, how, how much, how important is, is the lavender story? Is it still the foundation and base? Or do you see yourself as just much more of, of a brand which can in, embrace other scents, uh, other, uh, of course, yeah, elements and we were talking about wool because you've got a, a very uh, you've got a lovely beret on this morning as well with a, with with, a, actually and berets go very well with uh, headphones large headphones and I think anyone can they wear do. a beret and, and um, it's a it's, it's kind of like an extension well it is yes sorry I kind of just lost what I was going to say about it but it's important it's a tractor what I was going to say is it's your tractor because Wink did our I know we tractor. did the we did the logo and I love it and then every chance we get to bring out our tractor we do and there's mine right at the front of my beret and uh, we have several colors around the corner. So, yeah, it, I guess we are... No, but we're still lavender-based, to answer your question. The experience on the farm, people come... Well, they come to our farm to see the lavender. And they go, ooh and ah. But beyond the lavender, the views are sensational. And the pond that Tyler just mentioned. So it is about our location. And every, we say um, creams and bombs from high in the hills of Wales. So we're always going back to that location. Oh, and can I just say that we've brought our creams and bombs from high in the hills of Wales to the Savoy Hotel. And if you stay there right now, you get a different farmer on your pillow every night. Could be handing <laughs> me best, best marketing ever. Charles, are we going for that? I, I, I was going to take that line and run with it a little bit. But, Go, you know, having, have a, having a different farmer on your pillow every night is, <laughs> is, is, you know, um, <laughs> where, where is this kiosk? Where am I? Where, <laughs> just, just around the corner. You're, 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 yeah. the tw- you're 20 meters away, Charles. Right, okay. That's not, 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 to, not to worry. Conditioning, softening, nourishing, hand cream, foot cream. Oh, I thought you said conditioning, softening, nourishing farmers. They are. As it's well. All right. of our farmers are nourishing, conditioning, softening, soothing. Relaxing, reinvigorating, How many refreshing. farmers can you sort of like lay your hands on well, at any one time? Well, for the Savoy, we're doing just seven for one night of the week, but we could do more. But we do have seven products that are showing up on the so, pillow. Is, is this, that exciting? Is this, is this the start of, of a significant relationship? I believe uh, Savoy is part of Fairmont, isn't it? Which is, there's a Canadian connection there. Yeah, we're a tiny company. We're still making it all ourselves, packaging it all ourselves. And we will do what we can, but we're not looking to go. We don't want to send it to somebody else. To make her bottle, so no, of course we could do more, a little yeah. bit more. How much more? Like you, you another ramp up, like another three hundred percent? No, that, is that just like three times three hundred percent? Yes. Yeah, I think we could do that. If any of you farmers are listening, I'm just kidding. But no, do, no, totally, we could. We could probably do. Because another that, couple I mean, of I think hotels. that's the thing. If you're going to make it in the world of hotel amenities, as you know, and I'm sure those conversations have headed your way already, you have to yeah, license, and there's probably three principal suppliers. And, and I think that's the, the, you know, the, that's the extraordinary thing. You see these brands which have, have built the reputation on being Italian. They've built the reputation on being French. And then, of course, you get the bottle of whatever hotel you're at, and it's, it's made in China. Uh, and... It, it, it ain't great. It's a bit diluted. Uh, and, of course, you've got the brand in the room, and that's a selling point, and you can put it on the website, etc. But what, is it, what does it do for farmers? So build your reputation on farmers, obviously, yeah, right? Exactly. So and and I think also the hotels have to, yeah, yeah, of course, understand. Because I was thinking, like, I mean, seriously, like, the, yeah, it's, it's a big number to supply that many shampoos across the year. But, you know, it's a few cents more to have just a better product which is going on your head or on your hands or wherever it goes. And, and we're not doing that daily amenity in the bath. Somebody, I don't know who's doing their hand wash and right. stuff, but ours is, it's a proper treat. One of our proper products, 15 mil, 10 mils or something every night so you can experience it. And it's a really quality thing to find on your pillow. I know I would say that, but it's a real thing. It's not a mass-produced, diluted 
that's no, a what? lovely thing to see given the fact that nowadays when we go into hotels under that sustainability <laughs> banner they're now giving you those those sort of big pumpy bottles which are so disappointing because and also i always confuse the ha- we've had this conversation before haven't we about confusing the hand wash with the hand cream in the in the bathrooms and ending up in a right mess but it's quite nice to find yourself with something which is an individual treat thank you it is, it is. and I, just a little plug can i put this away they are so green you know you don't send bubble wrap or anything like that it's all packed it, they're, they're really they've raised the bar very high so it's nice to be there. Uh, any sort of economic indicators uh, so far? What are, what are people buying this year? Are, are people looking to spend more, Nancy, on box sets? Uh, do they want big bottles? Uh, what can you sort of, you know, uh, glean so far from where we are in this uh, part of this very heavy consumer season? Oh, gosh. I mean, our hand cream is just people are nuts about our hand cream. So it flies out. The berries are having a happy time. What are trends? People do want less packaging. We do have little sets that we can sell people, but people are quite happy to say, no thanks, don't need a bag, don't need that, just give it to me like that. And we see that increasingly. I saw it yesterday here. That's quite nice. It is. So that, is that, is that, it's not and really also, a big trend how, for you, But Tyler, Things but are flying out all over the place. How, how global are you now? We have many more uh, our orders from the United States. And... Fewer orders possibly from Europe. Thank you very much, Brexiteers. People, you know, that is... Do we go there? Or you we can, why not? It's so... We're just, a bit, it's, we're, we're, I think people sort of know we're a bit of a, we're a, bit of a pro-Europe. Yeah, outfit, yeah, exactly. So it's, it's all right. Well, and it is just nuts. So we have people, you know, lovely customer in Italy said, sorry, I haven't accepted my parcel today because they wanted, you know, 10 pounds duty on it and the thing only costs 20 pounds. And so we have had stuff come back like that. Uh, that's really upsetting because I want to be all over Europe. There's yeah. still people who, will don't, who don't mind that. Germany, the, Austria, we send Finland. I, yeah. I was talking to someone else who was having this issue yesterday at the Monaco Christmas Market and the suggestion was, was you just buy a van or you hide the hand cream under the car seat and just go. I mean, I'm not for one moment suggesting that we should break any kind of regulations, but just drive it. <laughs> well, I, well, I guess we're small enough that we could do you that. You could get contraband farmers into the EU. Charles, our, our new it just got, it's, got, it's got a line on this one. No, I was just going to, from the world of polling and politics, there's a little bit of relief insight. And for those of us who are suffering at the, at the sharp end of import or export tariffs, um, most recent poll, and I believe it was in the Times just the other day, shows that now somewhere north of 70% of UK voters are suffering from regret. Which is regret over Brexit. And so, you know, perhaps at some point in the future we'll see um, perhaps a slight reversal or maybe a full reversal of some of the pain you're going through. I think it's not pie in the sky. It's, you know, everywhere. All kinds of people talking sense saying, I mean, I want back in, but young people all want back in. And all kinds of people who knew they got it wrong. I, I actually think we will get back back in. I don't know what we're going to call it. Well, I mean, it's interesting. I've been going back and forth to Paris uh, for work a couple of times over the last few months. And the business community there is extremely interested in knowing whether or not if Keir Starmer, the leader of the opposition Labour Party, wins the next election, whether he'll bring back in all of these sort of regulate, well, get rid of this type of red tape regulation that, by the way, the Brexiteers want, said promised would be um, obliterated. The types of problems that you're having, essentially, even if Brexit isn't reversed in name, there's a sense that, you know, lots of these problems eventually might go away because trade is money and the UK economy isn't doing as well as some of its peers in Europe. 
and just the efficiency issue as well. I mean, you've experienced it recently, probably coming into to Zurich um, as well. You, you're not coming in, you know, Switzerland's part of Schengen, you know. And, and I've always said, if if the UK had been part of Schengen as part of its EU construct, I, you know, it would have, it, people would have just said absolutely. So I think there was also the sense that people never got to enjoy that full sense of what freedom of movement really, really meant uh, because we were never part of Schengen. I mean, we enjoy now. Now you really see being on, on really on the opposite end of it, not part of the EU as well. But had we been part of Schengen, I think I don't think Brexit would have happened. So there's no way I would have traded that that level of freedom. But sorry, go ahead. Neil. Well, no, I was just going to say. I mean, the other problem is also that in the UK, the UK is inherently an island, which is an, an issue for Schengen, right? I mean, heck, I remember as a kid when you know you had to have huge quarantine rules if you wanted to bring your dog back and forth across the channel um the thing is is that we know now in the uk over the last few years there's a dearth in modern language learning um we're becoming more isolationist in the uk as well and unfortunately i think you're right yes schengen uh, didn't help um, because perhaps people might have spent more time in europe and learned more languages but also we've removed ourselves from things like the erasmus program exactly. I, I did a year of university yeah, in that? italy and it yep. taught yeah, me bravo. a new language yeah. yeah fantastic um and and that's the problem so i i wonder whether or not if as i said there is a labor government that has this rapprochement with europe whether they'll bring back those sort of cultural initiatives before we lose them completely i'm a believer in time with this one I don't think we're ready to even approach going back in in the way that I think the, the many of the, the, the regret well, I can't remember what, the, what you said Charles but what those who regretted I think it's regret. called regret because regret. you're regretting Brexit and you yeah. kind of smash those two words together I think you're quite right in terms of language learning Nina I think if you but the, 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 the way that schools are operating now more kids are learning Latin than are learning German and that's just not the way I mean it'll probably be quite good in terms of I don't know when you're on holiday and you're in churches but it, it doesn't actually make a practical vision of Europe possible but I think also there needs to be an attitude shifting in Europe because Europe needs to get over the pain that the UK caused it and will have to say okay if we're going to get Britain back in we have to do it in a friendly and positive way. And, and also remember that we've got Geert Wilders uh, doing obviously oh, yeah. winning all those seats the, the Dutch uh, far-right candidate uh, who wants to take the Netherlands out of the EU um, over in the Dutch elections. He's allied with the likes of Marine Le Pen, who's advocating for a Frexit. So I think the EU is quite worried <laughs> Absolutely. That, that, you know, this might become an internal problem on continental Europe as well. Nancy, very quickly. Just quickly, I think Keir does, I hear you, we have to wait or something. I think Keir needs to talk about it a bit more. He started a few weeks ago and I was very excited and people didn't freak out. And I think it's sad that he's not talking about it. No, I mean, and, and listen, and, well, and I think this whole European conversation, though, having woken up this morning, I'm not usually watching the British morning morning shows, but I was just, I was struck this morning by just how little sense of Europe there is when you watch any of the, you know, we now have, what, what four, four rolling news channels in this country? It is so domestic and, and so, so narrow. But that's, it's, it's not even global either. And as, and not as, even global, no. no it's, it's not even thinking beyond the borders. There might be a bit on the US elections, but, and, and obviously Hamas and Israel uh, Israel is dominating everything. But yeah, everything's gone up the road. Nancy Durham, we're going to send you up the road back to your stand. Nancy Durham here from Farmers. All, all cheered up. Yeah, absolutely. Good. Well, I will, I will see you over there for a coffee uh, in a moment. That's all the time you, uh, we you. have for, for today's program. Uh, very good uh, to see everyone here. Of course, uh, Charles Hecker, Hecker, pardon me, uh, Nina DeSantos, Andrew Tuck was also here. Um, and of course, Emma Nelson uh, with me uh, as uh, my 
wing lady because uh, we start we started off very much <laughs> in in an aviation uh, patch uh, as well. The show is also produced by Emma Nelson today, uh, also Mariella Bevan uh, and Steph Chungu looking after all of the audio for us on this program. We're back in Zurich uh, next week uh, for the last edition of 2023. We'll see you then. Have a good weekend. Goodbye. <laughs>